Hello and welcome to the Friendship Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb, and this is uh, Trevor. Yes. Hello. And this is a podcast where we just chat to each other for an undetermined amount of time about how we're experiencing life. If that sounds interesting to you, then you should keep listening. If not, well, then probably go find something else to do with your time. I don't know. I'm not you. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Do other creatures... Are humans the only creatures that have vocal cords? I actually don't know. But are humans the only creatures that have vocal cords? I don't know. Have you actually looked into this? No, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that, like, dogs, for example, don't, Hmm. right? They just have, like, the esophagus or whatever. Okay. And their sound is created by, like, forcing air through their little area. Maybe there's, like, a larynx of some sort, larynx of some sort that does something. But, like, vocal cords, nah. Because, like, you can have shredded your vocal cords but still, like, shout, for example, and still make sound. Yeah. Right? Like, vocal cords are what provide the tone to your um, speech, as far as I'm aware. The actual tone, tonal quality of your voice. But you can create sounds without them. So, like, what purpose would animals have? Well, I thought, like, sea mammals, like dolphins or something, could vary the... Yes, but not with vocal cords. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So does that serve the purpose of vocal cords? It might might with them. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know because like, okay, let's say, let's say birds, for example, birds can change the, like the pitch of their sound. I'm not sure they change the tone of their sound because I don't know enough about sound, but I know that they change the pitch, but that doesn't have anything to do with vocal cords. It just has to do with the size of the opening Mm -hmm. and how they move their, their beaks and throats to change the airflow, which is what vocal cords do, but they're like very specific Hmm. because we can do that and we can vocalize, which has to do with sound passing over vocal cords and then being shaped by the position of your tongue and like your mouth and these kinds of things hmm. that determines what your syllables are right so like when you speak another language you're you're putting your mouth into different shapes yeah and so there's actually only there's a limited set there, there's a finite set of possible human speech sounds it's not an infinite set which hmm. is which is interesting mm-hmm. just as a thing so there's like only a a limited set of possible combinations that can create an intelligible language. So they that's why they often follow patterns. Hmm. And like when you're trying to do like paleolinguistics or whatever you call it, you look at these patterns in like living populations over time. That's how you, that's how you can kind of guess what a dead language might have sounded like. That's really interesting. Yeah. Just like anything else in human history there's always like there's like a root Hmm. super fun fact on that that i found out (laughs) yesterday by the way is there's a scottish like folk song that is popularly sung on some of the um islands that Hmm. are like really far in the north sea almost getting close to norway Mm -hmm. right and they speak english there now and okay so you know the concept of how there's like gibberish in 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 language sometimes or in sound and songs where it's like you say fa la 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 or fee fi fo fum yeah flippity doop like these kind of things yeah so that's an interesting thing that languages do okay what is that i don't know but there's this song that's like that on these islands in scotland and in the words they're singing there's like english and then there's this section that sounds like gibberish in english and I don't know it because I can't sing it and I only heard it once. But like I can. But anyway, it sounds like gibberish in English. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so a linguist was there in like I don't know like the 80s or something or it was the 40s whatever and uh, he met this Scotsman and they were talking about um, how like songs and such get stuck in your mind over time mm-hmm. and then he's like yeah speaking of that there's this song that my dad sang to me that like has been around here forever and the guy s- sings the song and the dude is like bro that's not gibberish that's Norn which is an ancient dead Nordic tongue. Wow. From like hundreds of years ago. Hmm. So it's a, it's a dialect, it's a super old dead dialect of like the Norse languages. So like a remnant of like Norwegian or Danish, all derived from yeah. like, anyway, like this is an ancestor of that. And there it is being sung and like pronounced properly <laughs> because it's in the song. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? So it wasn't gibberish. Was he able to tell the person what it meant? Yeah, they were able to, you're able to uncover what the lyrics are. Mm-hmm. Like, like etymologically, you can like because we you can go from modern Norse languages and kind of go trace your way back and figure out kind of what those words meant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the whole song is a tale of the of this king. It's very similar, and I think it's like King Orpheus, which sounds like Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're familiar with that, that's a Greek, <laughs> that's a Greek poem. So here we are in like 1947 or whatever it was, s- singing a song in English that has. Norn in it about a Greek poem. <laughs> so, how far back does that go? That's literally like uh, two thousand years yeah. of history. That's so that's old. somehow still preserved. Just like so, it's interesting because the point of that was like how music memory works hmm. in society and how it just is ridiculously prevalent like it just sticks forever like songs stick in your mind better than almost anything else mm-hmm. and that's like the probably the coolest example of that that i've ever heard hmm. makes you wonder like how many things in our day-to-day life are centuries old and we just don't realize it just like beyond songs yeah i want to say there's a lot of things what maybe one could say most things yeah right like but I, i'm like thinking of like really pronounced things that we just don't realize Mm. I don't know. I can't yeah. really think of any off the top of my head because it's... Well, because that's, that's, that's the no, point, right? Yeah, you don't exactly. know. It's, you're you unaware know. of it until someone like studies it and then points it out. Mm-hmm. Apparently, using the word like the way that we do in modern English is like <laughs> 600 years old or something like that. It wow. Is when it started, really? Is when it started being used that way. Yeah. Like pre-Shakespeare. Hmm. It's very interesting. Um, but there's some texts back there showing that that's like the earliest derivation of that word from whatever it was before that. Hmm. So, I don't know. That's been around for a really long time. We just do it and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know if like American English is has less words in it than English like three or four centuries ago? Has less words in it? Yeah. I would imagine it only has more words. Okay. Oh, so we were kind of talking about it the other day. I, like, I've just always been heard that, like, people have told me in circles I grew up in, they're like, oh, yeah, American English is really dumbed down and doesn't really have a lot of... I've heard that as well, but I don't think there's any scholarly... I, I thought, um, it, I think it's ridiculous it. when people say that. Yes. As far as I'm aware, in any studies of linguistics that I've done, that's not the case. Languages change a lot over time. Mm-hmm. The rates at which they change and the ways at which they change are dependent upon the circumstances of the society but a simplification of the language but maybe that's just like their first-hand experience like they might feel that way they might feel that way they might be using few words to describe things and talk about things and ideas 
but that doesn't mean the English words don't exist. Yes, I, I don't think this is true. I don't think this is a true statement. In fact, like, if we're talking about number of words, we're just, there's more words all the time, mm -hmm. you know. But just because there's more words in the language doesn't mean that they're commonly used or that they have ever been commonly used. Mm -hmm. It's possible that this conception comes from people reading stuff from, like, 200 years ago mm -hmm. and then comparing it to how they speak right now. But that's the trouble with comparing anything as written to what is spoken. <laughs> And yeah. you always use more words when you are writing than when you are speaking. Yeah. By nature of how those communication mediums exist. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. People are more precise generally in their Because you can be. You can think about what you write. This is, this is true. You can change what you write. That's correct, yes. You can craft much more what you want to be mm -hmm. seen or heard as when you were writing rather than when you were speaking. Mm -hmm. Largely because speaking is often bi-directional. Mm -hmm. Not always, but often bi-directional. Writing is not. Mm -hmm. It's one-directional. I, I wonder if for a lot of people, they don't realize it's something they can work on. How they speak? Yeah. Like, that's been, like, a new revelation for, like, me in the last two years, is realizing I'm like, oh, wow, I don't really have... I don't use enough descriptors in my day-to-day -day language to properly communicate ideas or things I'm thinking about to other people. Like, a lot of the the information that I wanted to impart was just lost in the simplified expressions I was using. Right. So I was like, wow, I can actually like, like I don't know. It's like, I, it, you grow up and you're like, okay, I know how to speak English. <laughs> but then I'm like, do you really? Yeah. You know, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, not really. If you want to get better at speaking, even in your own native language, you have to work on it. Yeah. If you want to understand more even in your own native language you have to work on it mm -hmm. like sure you'll hit a baseline level of comprehension and production but it's not like it's very advanced no like you've got to work on that shit if you want it mm -hmm. and i don't know i would imagine that if we're talking about populations majority of people don't tend to do that yeah because they probably don't feel the need to mm -hmm. so you might be right yeah <laughs> <laughs> huh this might come from also, if you don't take time to understand yourself, you have less reason to try and speak better to be understood. Hmm. Because you, if you don't take time to understand yourself, you might otherwise assume that either people just don't understand you, so you can't be understood, or you might assume that people understand you because you assume everyone else to be like you. Yeah. So like one of these two things might happen if you don't take the time to understand yourself both of those could lead to you not finding it useful mm -hmm. to try to speak mm -hmm. because you would think why would i try to speak better no one understands me anyway why would i try to speak better when everyone understands me already because they're no different than me yeah right both are equally damaging <laughs> yeah both are equally damaging here <laughs> both don't make sense mm -mm. but the way to uncover that is to understand yourself mm -hmm. which is really hard <laughs> yeah no, it really is. Yeah. Spending time with yourself to try to understand yourself, like know who you are. This is not inherently what happens. Mm -hmm. What an interesting thing, huh? One of the interesting things like, I think I've started to realize about understanding yourself. I've been trying to figure out like, how have I done this? And like, if I was to boil down what I did into a really practical step, like what would that look like? Yeah. And for me... Like when someone says, okay, you need to understand yourself. Originally, I thought I need to understand myself. And the idea of self to me was this vast expanse of 
character traits, quirks, personalities. And it was really like, it was just overwhelming because yeah. of that, right? When like, when you start thinking about your sense of self, it's just like, you, you can get overwhelmed because of how much it can be there. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, obviously I didn't start there because I probably would have felt overwhelmed, but I never did. Mm. And so I think what I started realizing is when I started going on this journey of self-discovery, it was one behavior at a time. Mm. And so it's like, I would do such and such a thing around, I think this started around like my late teen years, right? I would do such and such a thing. And then I'd be like, hold up, why am I doing this? Sure. And I would take, I would try and take in as many factors as possible as to why I would be making the decision. Oh, someone just told me that this is always the way I should do it when I was growing up. Oh, this is just what makes the most sense to my brain, even though I haven't thought about it. This is what I like doing. Like, there, there's like, oh, this is what other people think I should be doing. This is, I'm doing this because it makes this person feel this way. Um, yeah. And, and like, so there's all of those, right? Right. And so you're like, okay, this is, doing this behavior is making me who I am. Am I okay with this behavior? Or is this something that needs to change? Because then by doing that and identifying the behaviors that you do and don't want, you begin to be able to identify a sense of self and who you are. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of like you have a block of marble that already has a shape, but you don't know what shape it is. Mm-hmm. So you start trying to feel the edges yeah. of the shape. And you started feeling the edges of the shape by noticing where it turns, where the, like, you know, like where the, the crevices are and like the, mm-hmm. the features. What are the features of this mm-hmm. block of marble that has some shape? Yeah. But you're trying to discover what the shape is. That's how maybe it started. Yeah, and, well, and like, I don't think, like, I, I could do that with everything, right? Because as you learn and grow, you take in new information right. about who you want to yeah. be. But then it kind of lies along the same thing. You're like, okay, I want to be this person or have this trait. Right. Then you're like, okay, that's I, I have nothing to draw on. So then you start formatting what you've, the kind of behavior you want this thing to produce. Yeah, sure. And so then you're like, okay, I, I have a construct to think through now and on how to act and add this to my life. So then you get a chisel. And you get a chisel, exactly. <laughs> and you start shaping the block of marble to what you want it to be mm-hmm. instead of... So first you notice the block of marble, then you feel out the edges of the block of the marble, and then you get things like chisels and hammers yeah. to start shaping it to form the it's like sculpture of your mind. Understanding the nature in which you currently exist, like how... how how has the environment around you shaped who you are? Yeah, exactly. Realizing that and then realizing things that you're missing. Yeah, I think that's pretty decent explanation of how you, how one, specifically you, may have started to become self-aware. Mm-hmm. By self-awareness, we mean knowing yourself. Yeah. Becoming aware of yourself, like aware of your own consciousness, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to say it was probably pretty similar for me. It was like I would do a behavior. A behavior would happen something I do, and then there would be a, re- a result of that in the world. Hmm. And then the result that occurred, uh, result meaning the way that people then treated me in response, mm-hmm. didn't add up to my internal desire for myself. Hmm. So for a really concrete example, to make things less, less abstract, is mm-hmm. like around the age of like, between the ages of 16 and about 18 and a half to 19, Um, I think most people would have described me as an extroverted person, Mm -hmm. very lively, very full of energy, very forthcoming, but that's not how I saw myself. 
so then I would say, well, this is what people say I'm extroverted, therefore I must be extroverted. Mm. So then I would take on characteristics of what I thought an extroverted person would be like. So because I'm extroverted, that means I will do X, Y, and Z kinds of things. So then I would do these behaviors, and then the, the consequence of that was people would have an image of me, and then they would f- feed that image back to me, and then I'd be like, wait, that doesn't add up. That isn't actually what I want out of life. These, this isn't who I want to be. Mm. Like, this isn't what I think of myself. So mm-hmm. what is, how is there a difference here? So that's one way that I started noticing it. The other way is like in the reverse where things would happen to me and then how I dealt with them wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, hey, why am I processing this information in this way? So like, you know, like when I broke up with my girlfriend of a long time, I behaved in really irrational ways for a couple months and I felt very like out of control. Hmm. And I'm like, why is it this way? Like, okay, well, one could say it's because you had you like you were attached, you had these kinds of things. And then I'm like, okay, cool, but why did I let those things form my entire identity such that it felt like when that was removed, I had nothing left? Yeah. Like, how did I let that happen? Well, I let it happen because I wasn't, I was just reacting to everything. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first cue for me. It was like, okay, if I want to understand myself, I have to understand how to interpret my own reactions mm-hmm. so something happens stimulus enters my brain i produce a reaction okay what is that reaction and where did it come from and then that's like how i think so those two things hmm. i think were the threads that i started pulling but now current me can look at this and, and see that it's a really long process like you, when you start you don't know where it's going to end up yeah and i don't know where it's going to be even now i'm like i'm like I, i'm saying this saying like i'm still doing this right i know i'm right? not i know i didn't think you were saying you were done <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm just like net current me is commenting that like that's those are like some of the origins hmm. and then it never stops hmm. i just keep getting better tools as time goes on it, it sounds like in both of our descriptions the perception of others has really helped us identify a sense of self. That's pretty huge, actually. I think you caught something there. It's that we noticed that we are a being and that there's other beings that exist that are different and separate from us. Yeah. So there's two sets of beings. There's the you being and then there's the other being and that other being is another of you. Yeah. That can do essentially the same things. That, I think, is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, realizing that other people exist. In a healthy way. Yes, yeah. In a, in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, I would say previous to that, I had an unhealthy relationship with others before that. Oh, yeah. Because I, I was basing everything upon others. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure at this moment how to describe the difference, but like, yeah, there definitely is a no, like a, an awareness of, of other versus self mm-hmm. was the catalyst for understanding self. Now, in modern me knows things like you cannot control others in any, yeah. in any sense. Like, if you want something to be different, you have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you, the change, any change has to. The only thing you can change is yourself. The only thing you're in control of is yourself. So don't think about or worry about the actions of others. Yeah. In that sense, no one can cause anyone to change. Only that person can decide whether or not they want to or don't want to change. Hmm. So even past me that was becoming aware didn't. I didn't know that. So I have a question then. Yeah. Growing up, did you have people? do stuff to you that you saw as extremely as like as extremely obscene rude um downright just not nice often did you have a hard time um fitting in no not not really i Mm. could generally fit in pretty i felt like i was on the outside but i don't looking at it now i don't think that's true i was very much often 
part of the group mm -hmm. or the creator of the group. So so no, I, I honestly did I did fit in okay. pretty well actually. I don't think I would have said that then, but like looking at it honestly, it's like yeah. I had good relationships, even from a small child. I had versus thinking of those on who didn't that, that actually didn't really fit in, I was not like that. Yeah. So no, I, I could fit in. I think in um in high school though, I started doing things in a way that others would cast judgment on me though. And I felt okay. that very strongly. Okay. But pre-high school, not so much. I, I generally would fit in pretty well. Okay. But by my actions in high school, I began to make choices that started exercising me, like pushing me to the outskirts based yeah. on my own okay. choices. Interesting. For example, I had a committed girlfriend and you weren't like none of my friends none of one of my none of them in my christian groups they were all like that's a bad idea mm -hmm. i mean granted they're probably right but i did it anyway yeah things like that or it's like i started questioning the theology of our church right so i i that behavior labeled me as someone problematic mm. um, so then i started being less harmonious with the rest of the group mm. therefore leading me to have feelings of not fitting in mm. But previous to those kinds of like choices, I did. Okay. How about you? Well, the reason I bring this up yeah. is because I'm trying to identify a, like, where does this desire to start perceiving others around you come from? Come from. And at least for me, it came from me being different and having others view me as like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? you should be more like this and like this rude judgmental attitude. Okay. Um, so I just find it interesting that you also describe something similar. Yes. Right? Because without that, I'm trying to figure out if I would have had a need to question what is self if I had always fit in. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And yeah, that's a, I think that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something like I'm just now uncovering as we're talking about it. Yeah, maybe not, right? Like maybe you wouldn't have been as inclined because you wouldn't have found the edges of other people's ideas versus your ideas. Mm -hmm. Like if you just take the word of the group that you're in as gospel, kind of ironic there. That's that wasn't even on purpose. Yeah. But if, <laughs> but if you take their word as as like absolute truth and you find no discomfort with that or no discomfort that you give any credence to mm -hmm. yeah there's not really much reason to identify to create a, a, an identity of self because doing this takes work it's literally like this is like a topic for another podcast yeah. but i was gonna say literally like anti-human nature to to do more work than your brain wants to do it takes effort to yeah. do that yeah and so it's like and especially when you're a kid like i feel like i mean there's probably a bunch of biases with that statement but you're asking why would you why would you intentionally do something that's difficult? That's difficult requires a lot of mental effort to like kind of like set yourself apart away and apart from all of those around you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, <laughs> what the evolutionary or psychologically benef <laughs> beneficial part of that is. Like, why is that a thing? Because obviously, lots of people do it, and that's how new ideas form. Yeah, so new groups form. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's some. I don't know. There might be. Maybe there's got to be something in there that someone else has studied and knows the answer oh, to. Oh, I'm sure. To a certain extent, this is probably a terrible analogy, but it might be similar to how uh, mutations form in genetics. Mm. Right? Like maybe there's no reason. It just does it, and then it's either beneficial or not. Yeah, like okay. To the to the to the cell, which is you as a person, mm -hmm. and then to the organism, which is the the organization or, or local group that you're a part of. Like it might just be a random fluke, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then if it's a good enough change, then 
it can leave the you know the organization the organism that's in and start a new yeah organism yeah yeah right like there's might not be any more here than just an analogy like you're describing evolution <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah well like i don't know like maybe there's some sort of you know things follow these sort of patterns generally no matter what what scale of the thing you're looking at mm-hmm. you know like you can model human population dynamics by putting bacteria in a petri dish mm-hmm. and you can like see what might happen so maybe there's it's like a what do you call it a, what's the thing where you have a you're doing a, an experiment mm-hmm. and there's like a the full scale experiment and there's the small scale experiment oh it's like there's like a it's like an a oh i know what you're talking an analogy about. but like oh a, i should i should know this an analog oh they that that's one word of saying yeah it. it's like an analog for mm-hmm. the there's maybe another word for it, but that's the one there I was thinking. There is another word. Yeah, I, I, I just, think there is. I, I can't recall it right now. Yeah, crazy words, but an, an analog for the actual thing. Mm. So this might be. It might be an, an analog. I don't know. So so the, the, then the reason why this happens is because it can. Yeah. Meaning it's kind of too complex to try to pin down an exact reason as to why certain people decide to. It's a pretty meta reason. Start creating pushback. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I can't think of anything else right now. Yeah. But certainly, I think there is something to be said about starting a, down a journey of self-awareness and at first noticing I think, yourself versus yes. others. Like, my, yeah. in my experience, if I, if I want to share, like, my experience and my opinion about it, it yeah. was 100% worth and still is. Worth doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, 100%. Yeah, yeah five, like, uh, 5,000 yeah. percent times worth doing. Would recommend. Would recommend. I mean, pretty much anyone that I've been become close to since, who has then since started down a path of trying to understand themselves, whilst it's painful, messy, complicated, and a lot of work, no one that I've known has ever regretted it. Mm-hmm. No one's been like, wow, I really wish I didn't spend this time to start understanding myself. They're mm-hmm. like, nah, it's been kind of a pain in the ass and a bit depressing, but it's been super worth it because I feel more fulfilled now. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, insert whatever else. Like... Like, I'm a lot happier now than I ever used to be, which is, like, you know, you live with me, so you might not necessarily, you might think it's strange, but, like, <laughs> I actually am, like, significantly happier than I used to be, mm-hmm. even though I know that I don't always look like it or whatever. No. But what does that mean? That's another question that's someday. A, that's another what topic. does it mean to look like an emotion? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that I can say that because I can remember what it was like before, and mm-hmm. I get this sense of feeling confused okay so i think life or myself has just become less confusing i think of it as like let's say you've got a bunch of paper clips and you've got a whole pile of them a nice pile of (laughs) paper clips and they're on a magnet and so they're all like stuck together and it's kind of difficult to like pull these magnets these these paper clips off of the magnets but like once you get one of them kind of pulling then another one connects to it and then like you slowly draw like this chain and then the confusing pile of paper clips gets smaller and the chain gets longer mm-hmm. and like the chain is your understanding and like the complicated confusing pile of paper clips was your past yeah self and that's what it feels like i think the past version of like my psyche and it was like this kind of confusing thing the fuck is this <laughs> yes exactly and so i would just go about life you know just significantly more confused <laughs> mm-hmm. and self-discovery has made it less confusing Hmm, that's fair which in turn makes it feel like i'm more myself now than ever before recently this has manifested as me noticing my own consciousness Hmm. so noticing that i'm more or less a vessel of consciousness and consciousness kind of like flows through me in the sense of like things appear and then disappear Hmm. inside of my 
consciousness, whatever that means inside of myself. And I'm kind of just like, whatever I am, is kind of just watching that. This happen? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think at one point I may have been like a cup and consciousness was, is water. Mm-hmm. And the cup is pouring in. The water's pouring into the cup and I'm like holding onto it. I'm like trying to like hold on to this consciousness, trying to hold on to my experience of life. And that led to a lot of potential stress, anxiety, just confusion, all these kind of things. But now it's more like I'm a cylinder. So like the bottom has been removed out of the cup. Yeah. But I'm still a cylinder and consciousness is flowing through me and I'm like aware that this is happening. Mm. I'm not yet the water. <laughs> it seems like you have like a, your brain has a more evolved sense of time. What makes you say that? It's interesting. Hmm? A more evolved sense of time. Time is relative, right? So if, if you're describing yourself as a cylinder and life as the water flowing through it, then you yourself are relative to the life you're experiencing, which is very much how time works. Yeah, interesting. I, I actually agree with you, but I didn't see the parallel. I was, interestingly enough, I've been thinking a lot about time recently too. Mm, that's really fascinating. But like, I like that you found a connection between the metaphor I was just telling myself and what I was actually thinking about time recently too. Yeah. I was just thinking about how, like, how we think about time or how we don't think about time, but how, what, how, what time is for us is like the moment of the present is a snapshot. Yeah, which is why previous to us recording this is maybe why you were able to rid yourself of or like try and figure out your anxiety so quickly yeah because you have a like a stronger sense of time that's really interesting the way how you're putting it like my so this ability of uh, like understanding myself and consciousness is manifesting as an understanding of time yeah i like it (laughs) you look genuinely pleased (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i'm intrigued like that's an interesting way to put it right because like time is more or less so like we kind of exist, we exist in a four dimensional world, but we perceive three dimensions of it. Mm-hmm. And time is the fourth dimension of it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, so that mean that is to say that time, we view time as linear, but it isn't. We know that, well, we can assume that from like mathematics and such, mm-hmm. but like we can't comprehend that because we don't see it that way. Yeah. So we have to just believe that that's the case. But what you're saying is that Though, though we may never comprehend it, maybe it's possible to start making choices off of that reality. Yeah, or just sit in it. Yeah, exactly. Be the vessel for time. Yeah, 100%. Because, like, I, like, in a sense, I realize this heavily around the time I get anxiety attacks is because I, I often think about time in kind of like that <laughs> cylinder way that you described. Yeah. But it switches back to, like, the cup overflowing every time anxiety, anxiety hits. Yeah, same. Because it's like you're trying to hold on to this a current set of parameters that don't, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. And and I've like been obviously like working on this a lot and trying to observe emotions as they appear in my consciousness, whatever. And that's been going relatively well, mm. except for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Always has always been like the, the big boss, the big raid boss that I can't defeat. No matter what would basically always throw me back to becoming a cup, just like stopping, yeah. like a clogging up the system. I'm trying to hold on to everything. But this time, so before this conversation, I, that didn't happen. Like it started to happen, but then I was for the first time able to actually step aside anxiety and kind of like run it in parallel, like I was saying before the conversation, mm-hmm. which fits nicely with the cylinder analogy. Like if I'm the cylinder and life is flowing through it, then even when anxiety comes, so maybe it's like a big wave, you know? Yeah, <laughs> big, it's a little bit of turbulence yeah, in the cylinder. Yeah, a bit of turbulence <laughs> in the cylinder. But still, the cylinder didn't like it didn't close break. off. It didn't break, didn't yeah. close off, none of these things. It was able to like, I, it was able to push it through, not push it through, but allow it to flow through the system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my question is, is there ever a point in the journey of like self-discovery that you actually, you know, to complete the metaphor, 
become the water, right? Because that's like what people talk about, like be like water, flow like water, all these kinds of things. And I don't feel like that right now. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I don't feel like the flow of time. I don't feel like the flow of my consciousness. I'm just noticing the flow of my consciousness. So I feel like the cylinder that the water's flowing through. And I wonder if that's what people mean when they get, if they, if you can get to that state at some point in life, like people talk about that being like a form of enlightenment. And I wonder if that's literally just what it means. Mm. I, I don't know how to Possibly. get there. I'm not there. I don't know. I, yeah. So I, this is all like relatively new thought. Exactly. It's yeah. just me like kind of wondering. Hypostulating. Yeah, exactly. Postulation. Not sure. Like maybe, like I've never been able to understand really what that means other than the surface level. Oh, cool. I know what these words mean, but like, how do I process these words? Never really been able to do it. So this is the first time that I feel like I might have a slight insight into what those words might mean. Hmm. You know how you can like hear things and be like, I know what these mean, but they don't mean anything. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's like most, a lot of things. <laughs> uh, to bring it back to the very the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Words are weird. Yeah, man. They're shoddy tools for yeah. <laughs> processing existence. Yep. It's like our brains are already bad enough at processing reality. And then what we have to work with them is words. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Can we come up with better ways, better tools? Maybe not. Like, that's what I wonder too. Like, are we actually just forever limited by our biology? Or can we transcend our biology and find legitimate new ways to experience reality via technological means in the future? I have no idea. Yeah, me either. <laughs> that is a thought. Because other brains on this earth are specialized to experience reality in a different way. When you brought up dolphins earlier, it's like they have the ability to detect magnetic waves and sonar and shit. Mm -hmm. Like bats too. We don't. We do have circadian rhythms though, which is not something we think of often as being a sense of reality, but it kind of is. Kind of is. Maybe you're tapping into that. Yeah. Well, at least day-night cycles. Mm -hmm. It's like your your brain has understands that there's a rhythm to life. Interesting. Hmm. Anyway, I started meditating again recently. Yeah, you said that. Like I'm on day number eight of doing it consecutively. Mm -hmm. That's been really interesting. Like immensely useful this time around. Like I've tried many times in the past. I've even gone on like 65 day streaks of meditating. And it's been like, I feel like all I did was kind of like scratch the surface previously. Yeah. And not really know what I was doing or what I was getting at. But this time around, it just, for whatever reason, whatever circumstances of life I'm in right now, it just makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. It's like the, for the first time, I would say actually useful to me. And maybe because I'm not trying to make it useful, I'm just kind of like seeing what happens. Or I feel like in the past, I've had like an objective. I see. Interesting. And yeah, that seems really counterintuitive to meditation. Having an objective. Because it, it <laughs> yeah. literally means having an end time. An end, which might be counterintuitive to like what meditation actually is. I think that's completely accurate. <laughs> but I think that it's really easy to fall into that kind of a mindset. Yeah. When you meditate or try to start a meditation practice, mm -hmm. it's super easy to have that kind of mentality. Even knowing that that's ironic, you still do it, I think. Yeah. Strange. Extremely. Yeah. But I think lately it's been probably the most profound thing I've been doing. Well, it says a lot considering how much change you've gone through in the last yeah. five months. I know, right? That's kind of where I'm at, though. It's been really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to give it a shot after summer's done. Yeah. I think the thing that, like, really made me decide to try to start doing it again was after we got our vaccine shots and then we're feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. That whole experience really felt like I was set back. Like, I thought that I had made, I, f I had felt like I had made more progress in, like, my self-discovery and monitoring of emotions and stuff like that. But, like, that whole experience... And also, like, moving in with you guys. Mm -hmm. So, like, the second time. So, like, probably from, like, the middle of June. And through that experience of, like, getting vaccinated and stuff, I was like, I have so far to go. 
like not that I necessarily didn't think that I did, but I, was, I wasn't aware of like how at that moment was conscious. I'd fallen back into being a bit more unconscious of like where I was, my actions, all these kind of things. But then I was hit with that and just like the whole experiences. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I've like so much yet to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I just felt like thrown about basically. Yeah, it makes sense. You need space to think about that, the ability to process it. Yeah. So then I started uh, meditating again. But this time, like I said, like in a way that's different than before. Yeah. It's more interesting this time, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess on that note, that's our conversation for today on trying to scratch the surface of what it means to understand yourself for us. A lot of twists and turns today, I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting. I feel like that's how the process is anyway. 100%. So um, yeah, thanks for listening, I suppose. Sweet. Chat next time. Peace. Bye.